Hey, good morning, OG. My name is Ken, and I'm just so glad that I get to hang out with you guys and talk with you. And yet another amazing series that Pastor Chris has started us on, Uniquely You, from Psalm 139, that God has knit us and formed us in our mother's rooms, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Pastor Chris has just been crushing this series. I, I don't know about you, but I've just been loving how he's just been so passionate. And as I was listening to him last week, I thought, man, he loves this group. He loves you so very much because he was just so hitting this point about don't fall into the trap of comparing ourselves to somebody else because that short change is what God has given us in you. He wants you to understand. And he just couldn't stop talking last week. He just kept one great point after another great point with one scripture and another illustration. And he just didn't want to stop talking to you because he is so passionate about wanting you to be able to understand and see how wonderfully made, how important you are to all of us, that God has uniquely created you for this moment. And I think Man, I was listening last week and I thought, man, the Apostle John in the heavenly realm has just got to be going nuts telling everybody to pay attention to what's going on at OG, to listen to what Pastor Chris is saying. Because the Apostle John, he writes all of what he writes in the New Testament. All of his letters, the gospel, are written after everything else has happened in the New Testament. In fact, he doesn't start writing those letters. He doesn't start writing the Gospel of John until the Apostle Paul has been dead for decades. We, we miss that sometimes when we're opening up the Bible and we kind of read the New Testament. We go from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John into Acts, and then we start going through all the different letters. And we think this all happened within a, a short period of time. But John doesn't start writing until many, many years later. He's the last living apostle. He's, he's witnessed the decades of the formation of the church and what it means to be followers of Jesus. And as he's writing these things, his summation, his understanding, of everything that Jesus represented comes down to one word, love. Not just love for God, not just love for others, but very importantly, that you are loved. You are loved. That makes you lovable. You are lovable. You are lovable. I am lovable. The Apostle John would want you to be able to hear this message series and for you to be able to understand that you are uniquely you and God loves you. I was talking with a friend this week who heard that I preached last fall here at OG and she wanted to listen to the message and so she, so she listened at work uh, to the message. I don't know how much work she got done, but she listened to the message. And then uh, we were standing at the copier this week, and I said, I'm preaching again this week. And she said, oh, that'll be fun. What are you talking about? I said, shame. <laughs> That's not going to be fun. But it's so important for us to deal with this topic of shame because there are some of us here, I think, within this room that are hearing this amazing series you're wanting these truths to be passed on to your loved ones, to your children, and to others, but it's not sinking in here because you don't believe that you yourself are lovable. The Apostle John, his gospel is different 
than the other Gospels. 90% of the content is unique to itself, and that's because it comes later. It's John's legacy to us. It's not about chronology, which Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all about trying to figure out, making sure that everybody has a proper record of the life, ministry, teaching, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Those are all chronology. But what John wants to give us is Christology. He wants us to be able to have this understanding of the prime examples of who Jesus was and who we as a people, who we as followers of Jesus should be able to emulate within this world. He's trying to give us the prime example. So in John chapter 1, it begins with understanding that this is not something that's brand new, but it's rooted in what God has been doing from the very beginning. And then it moves on to understanding the very relational, humble, approachable, invitational nature of Jesus and how we as a people also need to embody that relational and, and humility and that approachable uh, nature of Christ within this world in which we live. And then it moves on to being able to understand that how Jesus dealt with religion the, that lacked devotion, but at the same time, how very patient he was with those who, even though they were religious, were humbly seeking after truth and God. Those are your first three movements within the beginning of John. And then occupying the prime location, then one of the most important examples that John wanted to be able to pass on to us of who Jesus was and what it means to be able to follow after Christ is a story about freedom from shame. In John chapter 4, in the first three verses, it begins with things getting kind of hectic in Judea. There's all kinds of positive attention and there's all kinds of negative attention. And so in John chapter 4, verse 4, it reads, Now he had to go through Samaria. No, he didn't. But that's what it says, John 4, 4. Now he had to go through Samaria because he's wanting to get to Galilee and he's been in Judea. But see, Samaria was this place full. It was a nation of Samaritans and the Samaritans were racially impure which meant that for any good Jewish person to spend time there or to be with those people or to touch their things or to hang out with them in any way, that would make them impure. And so there were all kinds of well-worn paths around Samaria so that the Jewish people wouldn't have to go through Samaria, so that they wouldn't have to interact with those impure people and then themselves become impure. So when you read that now Jesus had to go to Samaria, he didn't have to. But Jesus was on a mission because there was somebody he had to see. And so then you get into the story of the woman at the well. Jesus is sitting at the well. As Jesus is sitting at the well, a woman comes in the middle of the day to collect water when nobody else would be out there collecting water. And Jesus says to her, would you get me some water? And she says, because she's surprised, the Jewish guy is talking to her at the well. You know, you're asking me for a drink? And Jesus says, if you would have asked me, I would have given you living water. And she says, you don't have a bucket and the well is deep and how are you going to be able to get water? And he says, no, everybody who drinks this water will thirst again. But those who drink the water that I give them, springs of eternal life will come up with inside of them. And she says, give me some of that water. I'll take that. 
And he says, sure, go and call your husband. She says, I don't, I don't have a husband. And he says, that's right. You've had five husbands. And the guy you're living with now, he's not your husband either. She says, I see that you're a prophet. And he says, and she says, but your people say that we've got to worship in Jerusalem, but we can't worship there, so our fathers have worshiped here. And he says, there's a time coming in verse 23 when the true worshipers, the worshipers that the Father seeks, will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? And then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. The woman at the well is dealing with all kinds of shame. And Jesus had to go to Samaria because he had to go to the outcast of a whole nation full of outcasts to let them know that nobody was beyond the lovability that God had instilled within them. He wanted her to know that all of that shame that was within her, all of that, that lack of being able to find connection with anybody else, that that didn't matter because the king of the universe was going to come to her and make sure that she knew that she was lovable. Shame is that elephant in your soul that you pray to God nobody else sees. Because if they did, you wouldn't be worthy of connection. You wouldn't be worthy of their love or their attention or their relationship with them. Shame is rooted in something that was done to you or something that you did, something that you are or something that you think or believe that might be different than the group that you're with. And if anybody knew the truth about who you were or what you've done or what was done to you, then that would just shut you off. You wouldn't be worthy anymore. And so there are all kinds of ways that we kind of deal with shame. We might protect ourselves. And in protecting ourselves, we, we just kind of keep shallow relationships to cover up the real need of deep relationships. And in protecting ourselves, we might try to numb ourselves with addictions, whether it be uh, alcohol or drugs or porn or gambling or uh, anything that gives us the endorphins that we need from positive interaction that we should be getting with other people. Anything to fill that void that we don't have from real connection with others. We numb ourselves through addictions just to protect ourselves. We might then, instead of protecting ourselves, which is a real defensive posture, project. We put our 
insecurities, our anxieties, our deficiencies out onto other people, or we're quick to notice them on other people, and we make sure that everybody else sees that, and we're very critical, very aggressive, leads to bullying with others as a way of trying to make ourselves feel better that we're not the only ones. So there's protection, there's projection, but there's also perfection. Perfection is just trying to be what everybody else wants us to be, or at least what we think everybody else wants us to be. We try to be perfect at everything. We try to win everybody's approval. And when we can't just do it on our own, we try to make sure that our spouse is perfect, or we try to make sure our kids are perfect, and that everybody's measuring up, and that nobody knows what's really going on inside of us is so very imperfect. My name is Ken. And I have had a lifetime of a herd of elephants in my soul. And I spent a lot of years protecting myself through lots of shallow relationships. I spent a lot of years trying to numb it. I spent a lot of years projecting and finding the fault in other individuals. I've spent a lot of years trying to be perfect. Brene Brown, and if you want a resource on well to really dig into understanding shame and, and how to be released from shame, you need to start with Brene Brown, but don't start with what she's doing now. You need to evolve with her. Go back to the beginnings and start watching from the beginning as she starts teaching and writing about shame. Brene Brown says that shame grows an environment of silence, secrecy, and judgment. I'm a third-generation pastor. I've spent more than 25 years in full-time Christian ministry. I took our family to Egypt, and we were missionaries. And I've literally worked with churches all over the world and talked with leaders of churches all over the world. And I can tell you that there are no three better descriptions of church and religious people than secrecy, judgment, and silence. And that's why I'm pretty sure that if there are people in this space who grew up in church, there are people in this space who also are dealing with shame. And to be able to find a way out is so very important, not only for you to understand how lovable you are, but to be able to be the loving gift that God gave us through you within this community. And a few years ago, in the midst of, of trying to serve, I discovered that what's worse than one church or a few churches in a community full of secrecy, silence, and judgment was to go off and to try to be a missionary. Because <laughs> then you had to raise funds from all kinds of churches. And then you had to represent in nations full of other churches. And now all of these different people had all of these different expectations. And me trying to be perfect in front of all of those different spheres was absolutely impossible. But what was worse is that I was making our children and my wife go on every stage in all those places in the dog and pony show of just trying to present our front to be able to say, we got it all together. Look at us. We're off in Egypt. And everybody just smile a little bit longer so they know that how imperfect we really are it doesn't come out 
And as we're going through that process and as we're going through that life, my kids are getting to a point where they're going to be graduating high school, they're going to be going off to college, and they're going to be leaving our home. And as I'm struggling with trying to let them go, what I wanted them to know more than anything is that they didn't have to pretend. They didn't have to be perfect by somebody else's standards on any stage that we were standing on, or not even perfect for me. But that they were loved beyond the shadow of belief always. That no matter what, no matter what they had done, no matter what they had thought, no matter what they had talked about, no matter what they thought they were hiding from, or no matter what they might do in the future, that they would always know that mom and dad loved them no matter what. And in the process of trying to communicate to them, I realized they're probably dealing with things that were deep inside my own soul. So I had to start doing some work on me, and I had to start really trying to figure that out for myself. And as I'm trying to figure that out for myself, I see that I start talking with some other pastors. And one of the, one of the pastors said, look, Ken, you've got this amazing testimony of how you're trying to work on the shame issues within your own life, and, and this testimony of how you've been pretending with so many different people. And I wonder, are you pretending in your marriage? I just hated that question. I hated that person for asking it. Because, yeah, yeah, I was. And I knew that if I was honest, that would be the end. It would explode. Kelly would be gone. And little by little, We've been on this journey of her proving that wrong. How she was patient and loving and supportive and faithful and would not walk out with every elephant that I talked about in my soul. And it's created space for me to find freedom from shame. And some of the things that I want to be able to pass on to you if you're struggling with shame are these lessons that I've learned in these last several years especially. But are really important for us as a community of faith so that we are not a place of silence and secrecy and judgment, but that we are a place that is full of the love of God that makes other people know that they are loved as they are. The first thing is you've got to believe that you're lovable. Stephen Curtis Chapman several years ago wrote a song called Miracle of Mercy, and it says, if the truth was known and a light was shown on every hidden part of my soul, most would shake their heads, turn away and say, he still has such a long way to go. If the truth was known, you'd see that the only good in me is Jesus. Oh, it's Jesus. If the walls could speak of the times they'd known when everybody thought I was strong, could I show my face if it weren't for the grace of the one who's known the truth all along? If the walls could speak, they'd say that my only hope is the grace of Jesus. Oh, it's Jesus. 
and all the goodness and the grace in him. He takes it all and he makes it mine. He causes his light in me to shine. And he loves me with a love that never ends. Just as I am, not as I do. Could this be real? Could this be true? This can only be a miracle. This can only be a miracle of mercy. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21 to 23 says, I call this to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And some of you out there might say, but if, you, if you're just so focused on how loved you are and that you just as I am and not as I do, that it's just going to give you all kinds of permission to do whatever it is that you want. But that's not true. It doesn't give you permission to do whatever you want. It gives you the perspective to understand that God's love is so much greater for you than any of the elephants that are in your soul. And it gives you the space and the time and the freedom and the environment to be able to do the hard work of dealing with those things, not just trying to cover those things up. To really allow yourself to be seen and known with others and to know others and see others in a way that informs one another and helps one another to be everything that God designed you uniquely to be. To contribute at your best self, not this pretend self. And beyond this understanding of believing in yourself, the next thing is to just take a risk to share about those elephants in your soul, to be willing to open up to somebody else and some wisdom from my wife, Kelly, to leave room for them to surprise you. Just when you think they might walk out, they might surprise you and stay right there. Find somebody to talk to. It could be a friend. It could be your spouse. It could be a counselor. You might need the safety of knowing that they are bound by some kind of confidentiality and they're a stranger that you're not going to see. But find somebody to start opening up to and stop trying to carry that in yourself in a way that is destructive to who God uniquely made you to be. Find the freedom from that by taking the risk. There are going to be some people who disappoint you and they are not ready for your truth. But you're going to find people who love you along the way if you're willing to open up and allow them in. First practice, believe that you are lovable. Second practice, take a risk and start opening up and stop hiding with some other individuals. And the third practice is to begin to practice gratitude. Gratitude is the key to creating grace-filled environments. Gratitude is, is that practice where we're not just saying, thank God for everything out loud, but it starts inten- internally, just beginning to appreciate the little things of the people around you. It delivers you from blame. It delivers you from bullying. When you start intentionally practicing, appreciating the good in other individuals around you, And then that will start to come out in a sincere way 
privately, one-on-one, maybe in a message, maybe in a short conversation, being able to say, I appreciate this, or thank you for this, or I noticed this about you, and I really love that about you. When you start being able to share those kind of things one-on-one with one another in that private way, then when you start getting public with your gratitude, it's believable. Gratitude is the key to creating grace-filled environments. And if we want to be a church that is so different from the silence and the secrecy and judgment of religious people in other places, we have to be a place that is internally focused with gratitude and appreciation of others, privately practicing gratitude with one another, and then publicly demonstrating gratitude in a way that is believable so that every person knows that they're lovable, that we are like Christ that we follow the example of John and say, you know what, we're going into those spaces, we're going into those places where people are on the edges and don't feel like they belong, they don't connect, and we're inviting them into our space, we're inviting them into our home, we're inviting them out for a meal, we're connecting with them. We've gotta be a people that are willing to go out and do that. We've gotta be a people who risk relationally to be seen and to be open to seeing others without judgment and love and grace to practice this miracle of mercy that Jesus did. What an amazing God who did not let this outcast in a community, a nation of outcasts, be missed. He had to go there. And what happens to the woman at the well The rest of her story, where it ends in verse 30 that I read a moment ago, and as you go further within that chapter in John chapter 4, is that because she recognizes that she has been seen and yet loved and invited in by the Messiah, she goes and she allows herself to be seen by others and to hear what God has done within her. And then they go and they experience God themselves. And they say at the end of her story, we don't believe just because of what you said. We believe because of what we have seen and heard that we are lovable too. When we can find freedom from shame, we can then contribute our loveliness to a community that becomes increasingly lovely together. I want to pray for us, OG. And just as a reminder, at the end of this service and at the end of this prayer, there will be the prayer team here. And if you want to start talking with somebody, you want to start taking some risks relationally, if you want to start saying to someone else and believing with someone else that you are lovable, come and talk with somebody and let that conversation begin. Father God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to share with our community of faith, Orchard Grove. Thank you to God for Pastor Chris and his passion for helping us to be able to see how lovable we are. This message that resonates with the heart of the scriptures from the Old to the New Testament, this message that we need to have resonating within our soul, not just for our sake, but for the sake of those around us. And God, I pray For any of my brothers and sisters within this space who may be suffering from shame, who may be hiding, they may be hurting, they might be saying, it just can't be true, that if I said what I really have going on inside, people would walk away. 
God, I just pray that you would give them enough courage today to be seen, to be loved, to be welcomed in. God, surprise us today with people who can love us completely as you love us. We pray this for your glory alone. Amen.